Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, it's the Negotiation Machine, one of the best negotiation episodes ever. It's Hunter Swanson. He is the RVP over at DocuSign. Nick, why should people listen? We talked about a bunch of great negotiation tools that you can use when you are navigating a negotiation with a customer, including using a business case to understand all of their asks, what you do when somebody asks you for something that you actually can't give, and then how you control the timeline with a customer through the negotiation so that you still hit your number. Three, two, one. I can't give you this episode. I guess that's it, guys. Have a good day. Here we go. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
All right, Hunter, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. Tip number one is remove yourself as the one who decides pricing. So it's harder to establish a relationship with your buyer if they're frustrated, you won't give them what they want. So instead, explain how you'll advocate on their behalf by writing an internal business case and trying to request for additional concessions based on maybe specific information or evidence that they're giving you that warrants that. And you can always come back and and decide what to give or or how you want to play that, but at least separate yourself from the one that is saying no to them. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two is demystify your concession levers. So if your prospect wants a discount or something else that's not being offered, explain the levers that might make that possible. So for DocuSign, we care a lot about the volume of transactions. And and obviously, if it's higher, that's great. Number two is length of contract. And and three would be number of products. So it's always got to be a give and get scenario. But as long as they know that those are the three things that we care about most, they might be able to then tell us where they're willing to give to get. Round us out, Hunter. What's number three? Number three is executive alignment emails. What I always ask folks to do is create a template for your manager, or if your manager already has something built, something to basically send to your prospect stakeholders. So someone that we know is going to be a part of the decision-making process, but isn't in the conversation today. And, And that note can simply just mention the manager or the executive's support and how excited they are to be engaging with that company. And and what this will do is it's going to build an additional line of communication, which can be crucial later on. So it doesn't necessarily need to be an ask now, but later down the road, if things start getting really sticky, that person can go back to that email. And and usually, you know, the CEO or CFO will respond saying that, you know, they're excited too. And you can ask them, hey, what's going on? I I noticed that we haven't really been getting a response as of late and, and get their perspective. So Hunter, let's double click on your first tactic, which is really the front end of a negotiation. So Nick's your prospect, you give Nick price. And for the first time, Nick goes, Hunter, I think that's too expensive. My guess is you're not just removing yourself as the person who can make the call and saying, okay, no, no, not me. My guess is you're doing some back and forth in that moment. So Nick says it's too expensive. What do you say in return? You've got to be curious. So the the first thing that I would want someone to do is is ask and try to understand, Nick, what were you expecting? You mentioned that it's it's expensive. Were you looking at others? What were you referencing that suddenly feels like we're pretty far off in what we're proposing and what we felt pretty confident and excited to to show you versus what what you're actually seeing from your end? Can you give me a sense of what your demeanor and tone is like in this seeking to receive information phase? Because one of my concerns when I pivot to discovery in a negotiation is because I am entertaining their asks, I may be positioning it as, oh, we can do all of these things. And so I want to signal to them, hey, I'm, I, I don't know if I can do any of this yet. I need to get to discovery. So like, can you give me a sense of what your tone and demeanor looks like? Yeah. So one, I'll I'll try to level set with them and and sort of set expectations that me doing this doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly we're going to allow all of this. So I'll I'll typically say like, Nick, you know, that's a a fair ask. And and based on what you've explained and your specific circumstance, I totally trust and and like want to get this done for you. And it it makes sense why you're asking this now. 
So like, let me explain what I have to do internally. And, and I just want to be transparent. So you know what's going to happen after we get off this call. So I'm going to write up a business case. And what that business case does is it, it explains why the, the standardized pricing and the discounting levers that we have won't actually work in this circumstance and what the ask is. And, and typically when I submit that though, they're going to come back with questions to me. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly just ask a few of those. That way then we're not delaying this process longer than we need to. And, and so if you don't mind, I, I have a few questions for you that will help get an answer and, and hopefully get this approved. And so what are those most common questions that you'll go through? If you had a punch list of one, two, three things that are pretty applicable to most companies, are there certain things that you're going to ask in the voice of your finance team or in the voice of your boss? Yeah, I mean, for, first is going to be turnaround time, right? Like, what is the timeline to then being able to actually signing the agreement and not even just saying yes to, to DocuSign, but actually getting them to sign the order form? So that's going to be first and foremost what we need to know. I guess number two would be, hey, we've been working really well with you, but they're going to ask me who is actually in the room that needs to be deciding this as well. And that gives me a clue of if they mention someone that we had no idea was involved in this situation, I might be stuck. It also might be a good opportunity to get that executive alignment, even if we're late in the game. And obviously, in a best case scenario, we didn't just uncover that, but that would be number two. And then number three, hey, look, you want a 20% discount. That's, that's really hard. Like typically, this is the volume that we would need to get to, or you would need other products or, you know, a longer length of contract. Like before I even ask, like, is any of that doable? And like, maybe get even them to stack rank. And, and that way, then we at least know how to potentially change the offer that we have in favor of, of the customer or the prospect. So the first one that you mentioned was turnaround time. Let's say it's May, for example. So that's mid Q2. It's May 15th. And we're dealing with an enterprise deal. An enterprise deal, the red line process, the vendor review process, sometimes it can take a month. Sometimes it can take three months or even longer, right? And they say, look, Hunter, we really, really want to work with you at DocuSign. We love what you all are doing, but our legal team is going to be backed up. They're going to be trying to close our deals too. So it's May 15th. I can't promise you that we're going to get it done by June 30th, but we'll try. What do you say in return? Do you just say, okay, at least try? Do you give them a drop dead date for the discount? How do you handle that scenario? You know, it, it, it's a tough one. I, I think I would probably want to have a, a hard drop dead date. And that way, at least we're working towards something. I think the other thing is just getting their commitment and buy-in. So if you're saying that the legal team is going to be backed up, well, my next question is, how does one project or, or redline get prioritized so that the legal team can actually start looking earlier? And, and if that's the case, and you need someone to sponsor it on your end, who is that person that will make sure that legal is going to prioritize this so we can get to the deadline that's been set, right? Like, you're asking for a 20% additional discount. That's a huge ask. And that's not something that we normally accommodate. And so if I go back and I'm telling them that you can get it done by May 30th, great. But if suddenly that passes, it's going to get shut down. And, and so if, if I can get your help and commitment or your sponsor's commitment to make sure that it's prioritized, then I think our finance team will feel a lot more comfortable approving that concession and approving that internal business case. 
Hey, Armand, can you talk through the red line deadline philosophy that you have? Because I think it might be applicable in this scenario. Yeah. Hunter, essentially what you're doing is the customer is coming to you and they're saying, hey, I have a peg that's this shape. And what you're saying is if you want the peg to fit into the hole, here is the frame that you need to operate in to work with DocuSign, right? So if you're going to ask to have your peg shaped like a star, right? I'm happy to put up a star frame, but here's what you have to do to conform to that. And what that means is you need to now unpack all the things that are not that discount that I want in return so that we can meet in the middle, right? And so what you're doing is you're not just saying, I guess we'll try harder on legal. You're breaking down the legal process. And so one of the things that we talk about pretty frequently on 30MPC is what's called a red line deadline, which is you can't just break it down into you're going to redline our contract. You need to break it down to first the step that you outlined, which is getting prioritized in the queue. And then the next tough part is getting first cuts back. Usually those first two parts of the legal process are the longest, just getting it on someone's desk and getting the first cuts. And now what you're doing is you're getting on the same side of the table. And instead of saying, let's get it done by June 30th, you're saying, let's get it prioritized by May 24th and let's commit to first cuts by May 30th from that point on. And so Hunter, I'm curious when you're unpacking this timeline, how many steps are you breaking the vendor review process into, or how do you chop up the dates between May 15th and June 30th? So this deal lands on time. Good question. And, and I think that that's where like a mutual action plan or success plan definitely comes into play. If the AE has done their job properly, they should have a lot of this information already, right? So we don't want to get to the negotiation. And now we're suddenly finding out how long it typically takes them to redline. You know, something that, that you guys mentioned and, and is mentioned on the show quite a bit is trying to understand what was their last technology purchase? And how long did that redline process take? And, and what other hurdles did you encounter? And were those normal? Or, or were those just to that specific technology? Because that will at least give us a framework to work by. But again, if we're going to move back and say, hey, our finance team, the last date that they'll approve this is, let's say, June 15th, right? Then we need to work backwards from there. Because if you're telling me that redlines typically take anywhere from two to four weeks internally, well, what happens if they get prioritized? Is that two weeks or suddenly is that one week? And, and if it's one week, great. Well, then like the, the red line date that we need at least the first pass of red lines needs to be May 30th. So we have enough time to, to not only get those by June 7th, so that way then any other little final tidbits can be agreed upon, but we're not suddenly last day of the of the deadline and we still don't actually have legal finalized and, and approving the, the contract. How about in a scenario where, so you're on the call with the customer, right? And they say, we need a discount. You explain this business case thing. You sort of align on a timeline, but it's all got this caveat from them of, hey, we need it to be 22% less expensive than what it is right now. And you know, it can't, you can't get that low. And so you've explained your levers, like they're willing to sign a longer contract. They're willing to maybe buy another product, but like you legitimately cannot get to where they need to be. 
Do you have that conversation with the customer of, hey, I cannot give you this thing for $9 a seat? Or do you come back after the other business case and try to present an offer that hits on some other things that are important to them? What is your response when you can't give them something that they've asked for? You know, sometimes I try to just attack it straight on. And and again, if you're honest and you're like, hey, look, I've been at DocuSign for nine years and what you're asking it's never gotten approved. Like it's, it's been requested, but it's never been approved. And so I just want to set your expectation because again, as your advocate, I'll fight for, for whatever we believe in and we think is fair. But, but also if, if I've never seen that work, I can still go to bat for you, but there might be differences that come back in terms of what we can do. And if that's, if that's a case where it's not approved, should we just shake hands and respectfully walk away now? Or are there other things that we can do that you might be willing to accommodate and, and at least hear what we have to, to work with you on? And so then the buyer responds, well, can you even get close? How do you respond in that scenario? I would say that I'm really trying to get as close as I can. And, and that's why this business case is so important to me. And so what we're talking through, and, and I appreciate your transparency through this, Nick, because this is really going to help us as we're asking some pretty steep and significant concessions on your behalf. The other thing I'd, I'd like try to understand is, you know, if they want a 22% discount, but they're only willing to commit to 5,000, we call them envelopes, but basically transactions. And, and realistically, we can get to 22%, but it needs to be 7,500 envelopes. And, and I'll probably just let them know, hey, look, the volume that you're looking for, it can't be done. But if, if the percentage discount is what the most important thing is for you, we can get there. We'll have to either increase volume or increase the length of the term. And, and that can then give you the win. So again, I think like going back to the first thing is like understanding what is their most important lever or, or concession and then we can anchor things around that because some of the other aspects that they might be asking for are nice to haves and, and we just don't need to waste time on that then. So I want to break down what Hunter just did there is you got an unreasonable ask. Let's call it a 30% discount and you can only go to 20% discount. The first option that you're giving us is you're saying, I'm going to return an unreasonable ask with another unreasonable ask. You want to buy a 30% discount for 30 users. I'm going to say, great, you can get a 30% discount. You just have to buy 100 users, right? So that's one way to see how bad do you really want the discount. The other one that I want to make sure doesn't get lost is essentially you're playing chicken with your buyer. And so here's the problem in sales is it costs a buyer nothing to walk from a deal for a week, usually. It usually costs them nothing to fake walk from a deal. But what you just did, Hunter, is you created a cost to walking. You said, hey, I might be able to work with you on XYZ, right? But if you need Q, right, I'm not even going to go ask. So should we just stop now and should I not make any ask? What you're doing is you're removing their ability to get any discount at all because they are bound to the unreasonable ask. And then what Nick called out is if you hear something that sounds like, well, see what you can do, or, well, do your best. 
to me, that means that that, that that is not their real number. That is their big anchor low. And now you can start to dance them forward. So I want to talk about the turn now. So all of this up until this point has been absorbing the negotiation, right? You're absorbing the ask. You're getting everything on the table. We haven't told them what we can do. We've told them sort of what's an inventory of concessions we can make. Walk me through what does it look like to go in, put together packages, and present an offer back to the customer? Yeah. So I think it depends on the ask, right? So it, it depends on how many teams this is touching or if it might just be a sales decision where you and your manager, your VP of sales need to decide if it's worth getting to that discount or, or slashing the price a little bit more. What I'd typically do though, is I would always want the AE to schedule a next step and set expectations of when we should be able to have this done by. And that way then we're not chasing them down once we've got good news. So Nick, it's Tuesday. You've asked for all these concessions. This is big. I think we can get this done and, and have it something ready presentable by Friday. So why don't we put something as a placeholder? If it takes more time, I'll let you know, we can push it out. But that way then it's at least locked on both of our calendars. And then I can present whatever is doable. Or if nothing's doable, I'll, I'll make sure to let you know beforehand. We can still have that call if you want. But I, I want to at least have something on the books. And I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that during that time, we can really make the most of it and understand if any of those concessions or if all of those concessions get us over the line and, and it's a win for you. So you're scheduling a next step for a couple days out. You're making them recognize that this is a legitimate thing that you're doing. You schedule this next step. So now you get on the Zoom with the customer. How are you actually presenting your response? Do you have a PowerPoint deck? Are you just doing it verbally? Are you doing something else? Talk to me about the format and then the, the strategy for how you present your information to the customer. I'm a big fan of showing them the before and the after. And that way they can see how far we've come. And, and so I might show you know option one and, and just have the slide be the same one that we showed before. And now slide two, option two, has those like price points that we had before and they were slashed out. And now here's the other price that's now been approved. And here's the savings based on the delta of what you had before and what has been approved, making it glaringly obvious of how good a deal it is. And then also, I would always want to have the valid until date on the top right or somewhere big and in red or bold. So they know that this isn't just a any time deal. You ask for a lot, we're able to do it. Here's our asks. We need to get it done by June 15th if this is gonna happen with all what you just wanted and what we agreed to. So Hunter, I know that date shouldn't be a surprise because upfront you've already asked and you've vetted out, can this get done on time? So you're just reaffirming that. One other scenario that I don't know if we talked about is what if you present these options or you present the additional savings and they say, oh, Hunter, I, I want a little bit more. How do you either prevent that from happening and get it done in one cut or deal with the person who keeps putting more asks on the table? I think the, the thing that you got to watch out for is where you are on the power line. And if you're negotiating or working with someone that's below the power line and they're beating you up on price or anything else, 
you better believe that as it moves up, each person's going to want to take another cut from there. And so that's the importance of getting that executive alignment and understanding who are the real stakeholders and who makes the decision. Because if we can get that alignment with my executive and their executive, and they're a part of that conversation, now we can discuss the business case and what we're able to approve. And same thing with like, if we're building a business case, the expectation would probably be that my executive and your executive are on that next call to present the special proposal that we've now gotten approved for you. And and that way, we just don't have room for additional discounts or additional concessions beyond what we had just had the business case approved for. We can't keep going back to it and asking for more and more. You already have something that's an exception for DocuSign, and we're really excited about it, but you just need to understand that. Otherwise, again, we might have to walk away if you just keep asking for more and don't understand that it's a give and get and that you've already asked for too much here. Yeah, one of the big things that I've learned is you have to inoculate against this upfront. So when you're having that first conversation where you are explaining this business case thing for the first time, one of the things that I'll do is I'll say, look, like when I go back to my team and I make this big presentation and ask in case, one of the things they're going to ask me is like, hey, is this going to get this done or not? And I voice over to the customer that like, look, if, if I go back and then you say, oh, we need something else or we need something different. Like I'm going to lose a ton of face if I have to go back to my CFO and be like, hey, just kidding. They actually needed something else. And so Mr. or Mrs. Customer, it would be really helpful from your end to understand the entirety of what you need on your end. And so you I, you have to preface that you need the full ask from the customer upfront. So Let's say you're on this call, you give your presentation, you give the new option, you have the big must be executed by XYZ date in red at the top to make it clear for them. And they say, cool, this sounds good. We can get this done. How do you end that call? And what do you do from the end of that call to ultimately having the DocuSign signed so that things don't slip and things stay on track for the remainder of the deal? So what I would want to know is what are your next steps internally? This is great that it sounds like we, we got to a point that you needed us to get to. What do you need to do internally to get this approved? Or, or has it been approved and you already have budget and now it's just finding out the signer? Like there's a wide variance there from when you get off the call. And so I need to understand what are the next steps that you have so that then if there is someone else that's not included in, in the meeting and you're saying, great, leave it with us. Again, we, we need to have a meeting or some type of placeholder, at least including that person. So if they have questions and they haven't been a part of the deal, you know, again, I can have my executive on the line, but that way then we can get it all done by the June 15th deadline that we have. So I, I would always want to make sure that I'm understanding what they're going to be doing internally and then also having a next step. And even if it gets signed, then great, we can we can cancel the placeholder if it was easy enough for you to do. But what I always want to avoid is having people chase them down when you're so close to the finish line. All right, Hunter, we are running out of time here. And so we got to move ourselves to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so my final question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Okay, so this is something that you might have actually heard me just say on this call, but never leave a call or a meeting without a next step, a next meeting established. 
So even if the prospect needs to coordinate a few calendars, let's say you just had a demo and it was a big group and they're saying, hey, you know, send us a few dates and we'll get back to you. I need to coordinate things. It's always better to have a placeholder on the calendar rather than needing to chase them down later on. So, you know, what I would always say is, hey, great, totally understand it. You know, typically we would allot for, you know, a week turnaround time from the demo to getting your feedback and walking through next steps. Why don't I at least put a placeholder on for Tuesday afternoon? Worst case scenario, we can move that meeting to a different time or date, but at least it's on our schedule. And, and that way, you know, it, I don't have meetings come up and suddenly now we're two weeks later and, and now looking at dates. Also, from a prospect's perspective, they can't avoid it. So their email might be getting slammed every single day. And so you following up might be a lot harder to get a response rather than a lot of executives and folks treat their calendar as gold. <laughs> and, and if there's a meeting on there, they care about it because if they don't want to meet with you, then they'll either propose a different date or cancel it because they want to free up that time. So as long as you have something locked on their calendar, it's the best next step and guarantee that you're still building that momentum towards getting a deal done. Boom. Amazing episode. Hunter, thank you for joining us and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Hunter Swanson include number one, when you get asked for a discount, ask in return. Why a discount at all? What were you expecting? And then create a cost to each item they're asking for. Number two, don't just stop at legal when you're asking if they can turn around the contract in time. Go all the way to, can you get this prioritized and how do we jump the queue in legal? Number three, when you turn your back to go get approval, take time. If it's a Wednesday, say you'll know by Friday. It shouldn't be like you turn around and you get the answer easy. And then lastly, number four, when you are presenting the new proposal, always show the before and the after painstakingly walk through the additional savings that are being approved and have the valid buy date in bold and red. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? 
Well, Hunter specifically, specifically asked if you, audience members, yes, you would go connect with him on LinkedIn. And so my recommendation would be you go connect with him on LinkedIn. Maybe he'll even answer some of your negotiation questions that are lingering after this episode. So go connect with him and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.